My name is Joey. Like Chris said, I'm the youth pastor here at Wellhouse. Um, Jason is out of town. He is making us all jealous. But I also wanted to say there's also his Kentucky Wildcats loss last night. So I don't know if it's a coincidence that he's not here. But no, Jason is on a well-deserved vacation, and I'm honored to get to, to, get to speak in his place. Um, let, me, let me pray for us and, and pray over God's word, and then we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I thank you um, for just these people here that want to come and worship you. I pray that we would get some encouragement from your word. God, I pray that we would see that you're with us in, in hardships and failures. And Father, I just pray that you would give me words to say, Lord, and that it would just bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So I spent some time in the Dominican Republic, um, about a year. It's actually where... I met my wife, which is a different story, but um, so with this organization that I work for, every week we would have, throughout the summer, we would have uh, short-term mission trips come in, and I would get to lead those. We would go through, the, through villages and, and pray with people, um, do home visits, we would do sports ministry, clinics, things like that um, for a week, but the last day we, we were there, we got to do... Um, a fun day. I mean, we were in the Dominican Republic. It's beautiful. We had to let the people, you know, get out, go to the beaches, experience, um, experience the country and the culture. So there was this one place that, that kind of became a favorite in the Dominican amongst our teams. It was called, ready for this? Lake Doodoo. Okay? I'm not kidding. It's called Lake Doodoo. And I know what you're thinking. It, it's not brown. It's actually some of the clearest water that I've ever seen. It's basically this big sinkhole, all right, this giant sinkhole, and there's 35, 40-foot cliffs all around it. It's, it makes a circle. And so on, on one side, there's, there's a cliff that you can jump off of, and on the other side, there is a zip line that you can go into the water off of. So for me, the, the cliff, you know, it wasn't as big of a deal. I, I jumped off some cliffs, 35-foot. If you've done that, it's, it's it takes a second to hit the water, but it's not just crazy. Um, so I did that, but the thing that got me was the zip line, all right? The zip line, you grab onto this, this bar. Remember, you're, you're 35, 40, 40 foot above the water, and you begin, you let go, you push off, and you begin to go down this zip line. And in the middle of the, the water, there's this big triangle, and you're supposed to aim for the middle of the triangle. When you let go, you want to be in the triangle, and you want to preferably land on your feet right? So, you know, it, it, it made me a little nervous to do it, so I watched a few other people do it, make sure I wasn't going to die, you know, be the first one to die when I, when I did it. So they did it, they were, they were good, they were safe, so I finally got up enough courage to, to go out and do it. And so I get up there, I, I grab onto the bar, and I let go, you know, push off the step, begin to go, and I'm like, okay, this is, this is good, I'm having fun, begin to get a little overconfident, kind of start swinging my legs back and forth, you know, it's, you're, you're gliding through the air, it feels good, you're free. Problem was, when I got to the, to the triangle, right, my momentum was still going, and I couldn't stop it, because you're going downhill towards the water, but you're still above the water. So when I get to this, this moment, this, this circle in the triangle, I let go, my feet go up in the air, and I land smack down on my back. And it did not feel good. It was, it, it was burning. It was red the rest of the day. Um, not a good time. I got a little overconfident um, with the zip line. But, 
You know, the reason I tell you that story, we've been in this series called Jump, and we've been talking about, um, if you haven't been here, just this idea of, of, of cliff jumping, of taking a leap into what God has called you to do, taking the next step of your faith into what God has called you to do. Well, my question today, what I want to look at is what happens when you take the next step of faith, you think you're doing well, you get maybe a little overconfident, and then something happens and you land flat on your back. Maybe it's, maybe it's failure, something didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. Maybe you end up losing your job, losing your, your marriage, friends abandon you or let you down, and you just feel like a, like a complete failure. You feel like you don't know what to do. Or maybe it's something that, you know, is completely out of your control. Maybe it's, it's you, you find out that lump on your neck was cancer, or maybe you lose a loved one unexpectedly. Um, what do we do in these situations when we, when we experience failure and adversity in our lives? And sometimes we feel completely stuck. We don't know what the next step is. We don't know what to do. So how do we move forward in these situations when we feel like this? And today I want to offer some hope from God's word of how to respond when we enter these times of, of failure and adversity. So I want to talk about a guy in Scripture who is not um, shy of failure and adversity. He knows failure and adversity. Um, he experiences some really high highs, but also some really low lows. Um, his name is David, and we find his story, in, in, or some of his story at least, in the book of 1 Samuel. So I want to talk about some of, some of David's highs and then get to some of David lows after that. So first of all, you know, if you're familiar with, with David, in, in 1 Samuel 16, David is actually anointed king, anointed as a future king over Israel. Saul, king Saul is reigning over Israel, but he has been disobedient to God, and God has rejected him as a leader. Therefore, God uses the prophet Samuel to go to the house of Jesse, who has seven sons, seven, eight sons, excuse me, and he... He goes and he looks at all these sons, and finally, none of them are, are the one that's supposed to be the king. And finally, Jesse's like, okay, I have this other kid. He's a shepherd. He's my youngest. Like, he couldn't possibly be king. But he brings him in, and Samuel looks at him and says, yes, that is the future king of Israel. And from that point on, the Spirit of God was with David. In chapter 17 comes the story of David and Goliath. Um, we've all probably you know, maybe had a little bit of experience with that story. We, the Philistines have, have gathered against the armies of, of the Israelites, and um, they send out this, this huge guy named Goliath, right? And all the Israelites are, are scared. No one will go out to fight him. But David, who's bringing some, some food and some rations for his brother, looks out at, at Goliath and says, who is this guy? Is he really going to talk about the God that we serve and no one's going to do anything about it? He, so he goes out to, against, to fight against Goliath with a, a sling and some stones, right? And he, you know the story. He slings the stone, hits him in the, in the head, and, and Goliath falls. And David is victorious over Goliath. From there, David goes on to be this amazing warrior. He leads Saul's army. He has hundreds of, of wins in these battles that he goes out in. Um, and the people love him, right? David is is on top, of, on top of his game, this mountaintop experience, and everybody loves David. The people, want, at one point when they come back from war, the, the Israelites sing, 
Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, right? So they're, they're lifting him up above even King Saul. And as you can imagine, Saul doesn't like this, right? This gets under Saul's skin, and, and Saul becomes jealous. And this brings us to, to some of David's lows, okay? So Saul, be, he hears this, he becomes jealous, he knows that David's been anointed as king, and he begins the plot to try to kill David. The first time that he actually tries to, to kill David, David is playing music uh, for Saul in the king's quarters, and Saul grabs a spear and tries to throw it, to, throw it at him and pin him against the wall. All right? The crazy thing about this is he does it twice. I don't know about you, but if I get thro- a spear thrown at me, I'm probably leaving the first time, right? But he does this two times. And then later on, Saul continues to plot against David Um, Jonathan, Saul's son, eventually warns David about this plan that Saul has, and David goes on the run. He's fleeing for his life. Um, He's running away from Saul. He's going all over Syria and Palestine, kind of narrowly escaping Saul's army. And at one point, while he's on the run, these few people that are with David, they actually go out to fight a battle against the Philistines. They leave their camp and go out to fight. But when they get back... This group of people called the Amalekites had come in, had had pillaged their camp, had had burned down everything, had kidnapped their wives and children. And the guys who were with David began to conspire against him to stone him. They were talking about stoning him because he had led them astray. And we see David seek refuge in this cave, all right? He's he's tired, he's hungry, his friends have abandoned him. It feels like God's abandoned him. He knows that he's supposed to be king, but nothing's going like it, thought he, like it thought he would. And we see David's conversation with God. He seeks refuge in a cave. Um, what I want you to see about this is, is David says, the way that David responds to this adversity, this seemingly failure to become king, everybody has left him. The way that David responds in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6 says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. All right? David strengthened himself in the Lord. So I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, okay, that's great, but what did he do? How do you just, you know, strengthen yourself in the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Psalm 142, we get to see a picture of what David does to strengthen himself in the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 142. We're going to kind of just walk through this, this passage, and I want you to see four responses that David has when it comes to times of failure and adversity. So Psalm 142, if you look at the, uh, the title of that, it says, You are my refuge, and then under that, a, a mosque of David when he was in the cave. All right? So with this psalm, we're kind of getting a glimpse of, of David's conversation with God. We're kind of pulling back the curtain to see how David strengthened himself. So let me read, well, first of all, let me give you, so four responses um, David has to failure and adversity. You know, number one, David goes to God and is honest about his, about his situation, okay? He goes to God and is honest about his situation. Look at verse one through four. He says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. 
no refuge remains for my soul. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. What I want you to see about these first four verses is that David goes straight to the Lord with his problem, okay? I get to, you know, hang out with a lot of teenagers being, being a youth pastor, and I, get to, I love to sit across from them and have coffee and, and hear what they're going through, hear what their problems are. And a lot of times, you know, they're, they're telling me this, I'm listening, I'm kind of a soundboard for them. And when they get done telling me what, what, whatever their problem is, my first response usually is, have you prayed about it? Like, have you, have you gone to the Lord by yourself first to pray about it, right? And I'm not, I, I want them to come to me with their problems. I want to be, a, to be able to counsel them, but I, but I also want to instill that God wants to hear their problems first, right? God wants to be the first person you go to when you face times of failure and adversity. And I love how David does this, and he's just completely honest. He has this, this raw honesty. If you're familiar with the Psalms, you see it throughout the Psalms that David just, just lays it out there for the Lord, right? He's completely honest with the Lord. And you know, the Bible says he pours out his complaint before God. We see that. He's crying out with a loud voice, like, God, how, what's happening? How did I get here? What is going on? Everybody's left me. There's no one who cares for my soul. I'm all alone. You know, I read this and I wonder, I try to compare my prayer life to David's, and I'm, I wonder if I'm this honest with God. I wonder if I go to other people, go to everybody else before I go to God with a problem that I have. I want to be like David. I want to be honest with God. I want to go to him before I go to anybody else. So David goes to God and is honest about his situation. Then number two, David shifts his view from his circumstances to God's character. All right, from his circumstances to God's character. And this is huge. I don't know about y'all, but when I get in these moments of kind of these lowest lows, I begin to, to, to dwell on my failures. I begin to think about all the times I've messed up, how, how I'm not good enough, how, you know, no one, no one is with me, how it's just the suffering's going to last forever. And I just get in these, these down moments, begin to let doubt creep in and wonder if God is really with me. And Satan loves to feed us lives during times of frustration and failures. Satan loves to, to make you think that nobody's with you, that nobody cares about you, that God isn't with you, that God doesn't care about you, that he's far away and that he, he doesn't, um, he's not with you, right? He doesn't care about you, how God feels about us. Satan loves to lie about how God feels about us. Um, my wife and I have a three-month-old, and she, her name is Lainey, and... Um, you know, whenever you have a kid, everyone tells you, like, it's a different kind of love. You're not going to, it's a love you've never felt. It's a love you can't explain. You've never felt it before. You can't experience it until you have a child. And it's true. It really is true. We, Kelly and I laugh. We, sometimes we'll go, we'll put her to bed. It's bedtime. We'll go out and sit on the couch. And we begin to just, like, scroll through pictures and videos of Lainey, who's in the other room, who we were just with all day, because we just love her. We love being around her, we love taking care of her, we love being her parents. But how, how much more does God love being our father? How much more does God care about you and I when we're going through times of adversity? He doesn't leave you, right? If good earthly parents can be with you, how is our heavenly father not going to stay with you in times of adversity? And David, knowing this truth, he says, God, you are my refuge, 
And I love this word for this refuge word for God. It's used over 40 times in the Psalms. It's the title of this song. That's what God sought refuge in this cave. But here's the thing if we understand this, we can be, okay? His real refuge is in, you know, it's, it's thrown at us, right? Isaiah 26, 26 3, one of my favorite verses says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Right? That what that verse is saying, it's what David is doing right now. No matter what is going on in your life, God keeps you at perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. So David shifts his view from his circumstances to, to God's character. Number three, David surrenders his situation to God. Look at verse six. It says, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. So remember who David is. David is this, this mighty warrior. He's won all of these battles. He's killed tens of thousands of people. Thousands of people. But he says, God, these, my enemy is too strong for me. My, my enemy surrounds me and no one is with me, God. What am I going to do? I have no idea, no, no moves left. God, I need you. And the truth, are, truth is, there's sometimes where we get to this place well, we actually have no moves to change our situation. There's nothing that you and I can do. We're just, we're stuck and we're, we're kind of waiting. You know, when we get to these situations, we can do what I try to do a lot of the time is just work harder, press forward, you know, keep moving, try to bust through the wall on my own strength. That's one option. Or number two, we can humbly seek the Lord and, and ask him what our next step is. Right? We can try to do it on our own strength, or we can humbly seek the Lord and ask what our next step is. And the truth is, sometimes, sometimes when, we, when we're in these places of adversity, God, God is using this to get us to a place of surrender. Okay? God doesn't put us through things for no reason. The Bible says he's working all things for our good. Right? But sometimes, through these times of adversity, God is trying to get us to this place of surrender so that he can use us. And that's where David is right now. He's saying, I have nothing to do. God, I need your help. And God uses these situations to, to shape us, right? I think anybody in this room that's gone through, you know, something, something really hard can say that God was closer in that time, that you learned more about yourself, about God um, in those times, because God uses those times to bring us to desperation for him and surrender to him. Number four, David believes God's promise to him. Verse seven says, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. So given this situation, David has no reason to be able to have this hope that God is gonna take care of him. He has no reason to say the righteous are gonna surround me for, your, for you will deal bountifully with me, right? He's in a cave. Everybody's abandoned him. Everybody's left him. He's being chased by Saul, about to be killed, trying to be killed. And David responds with hope. He responds with tremendous faith in this situation because he believes what God has already told him, what God has already promised him through the prophet Samuel, that he's going to be king. He's going to have this great um, kingdom, and God is going to be with him. And he believes that. He believes that his suffering isn't going to last forever, that God is going to rescue him, that God has a plan for his life. And then we follow the same God that David follows. He's given us promises as New Testament Christians that we can bank on because we know who God is. We follow the same God 
as David, and you may say, all right, how do, like, how do I know that, that God can be trusted? And my answer to that is Jesus, right? Jesus, God came down to earth as a man. God put skin on, became like you and I, weak like you and I, and he's experienced exactly the same things that we have gone through. The Bible says he, he can sympathize with whatever we're going through. He knows us. He knows what it's like to be in a hopeless situation. He knows what it's like to be human and to, to not have control over a situation. And on top of that, because Jesus died and raised from the dead like he said he would, like God had promised all throughout the, the Old Testament, we know that God's answer is yes because of who Jesus is, right? We know that we can trust God, that any promise he's given us, promises that he has, he has a plan for us, promises that he's working all things together for good, promises that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye, that he's going to come back and make all things right. We can believe this because he's already sent Jesus. If God sent Jesus, what else is he going to withhold from us? He's God's son, right? And he sent him to earth to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins, because he loves us and he cares for us. If he sent Jesus, what else do we need to be able to trust God? So I don't know what, you know, what you're going through today, whether you feel like it's just it's failure, like it's um, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, it's a situation that you can't control, a situation that you have nothing to do with, and you just feel completely defeated. You know, I don't know what, what the situation is, but what I do know is that God wants to be your refuge. He cares about you. He is so crazy about you, and he wants you to come to him first. He wants you to, to know him. He wants you to be honest before him, and he wants to bring you to a place of surrender where, you're, where, you're, excuse me, where you know him more and you love him more, and you're able to be at peace no matter what is going on in your life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just who you are. God, I thank you that you are with us in times of failure and adversity. God, when nothing seems to make sense, God, that you are still on the throne, that you are still with us, Lord, and that you sent Jesus to seal that promise to us, God, that you sent Jesus, that we can know you are who you say you are, God, that we can trust you. Lord, whatever someone is going through out there tonight, to this morning, excuse me, Father, I pray that you would just be with them, that you would show yourself, reveal yourself, God, and that we would be able to trust you more through the situation, Lord. We love you so much, Jesus, in your name.